0: Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line by embracing behavioral economics. And now, here are your hosts, world-renowned thought leader on customer experience, Colin Shaw, and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. There are good ways to form a
1: price image, and that's by evaluating all of the available prices and comparing them to prices of other stores, that's also a lot of work that's really effortful. So are there easier ways for you to form a price image?
2: If I think of a grocery store like Audi or whatever, in fact, Lorraine, my wife, Hates going into those places because they've got cardboard boxes that have been just the co- tops have cut off, and and understandably, what they're trying to say is
1: we're cheap. Whole Foods is one where they do not want a high price image. In fact, there are, there are quotes from the CEO. but they've got one. Oh, they've got one. Oh, they've got one. So, Colin, you have no idea what kind of trouble you've gotten yourself into today.
2: What have I done now?
1: You made the mistake of offering to let me talk about my own research. And, <laughs> oh, <that laughs> let was, me just go get my sleeping bag. That Hold was on. a rookie mistake there. <laughs> Not only that, but you've dragged all of our dear <laughs> listeners in along with you. So, um... Uh, Sorry to all of you. Formally apologize to everybody. Yeah, it may take more than a formal apology. It was clearly a moment of weakness. I am so excited to tell everybody about some of my research. So let me start off with a story. I'm going to tell you something that happened. It's related to what I do. So there is a neighborhood in Boston called Jamaica Plains, and it was historically kind of a a working-class neighborhood. Uh, A lot of immigrant families lived there, and it, it started to gentrify. And as part of this gentrification, a lot of changes were happening. One of the changes that, that happened is there was a regional grocery chain called Low Foods. Right. And Low was bought out by Whole Foods. Okay. Upscale grocery chain. They were going to like strip it out and then change it over into a, to a Whole Foods. And the residents of, of Jamaica Plain were livid. Like they were so angry. They held protests. They had picket lines around the construction site. They didn't want to let anybody do this. They passed out flyers. And the argument that they were making, are several reasons they weren't happy about it, but the primary argument was look, Whole Foods is is really expensive. Right. And we don't have a lot of grocery stores in this neighborhood, and so you're going to take out this grocery store that exists and replace it with. We won't be able to feed our families. Like we just, we, it's so expensive. Whole Foods is. So they said was a price argument or price perception. Yeah, they said that it's it's too expensive. We are not going to be able to afford it. Right. So finally, this reporter from the Boston Globe went and actually checked prices and checked it at at Hilo Foods and then at, at Whole Foods in another neighborhood nearby and compared it with a bunch of others. It was on a basket full of like eight or 10 items that he compared across these stores. It was less than a dollar's difference. Wow. Yeah. So in terms of actual price, I don't know why anybody thought that a, a grocery store named High Low Foods yeah. would would be a, a low-priced grocery store. That That's a different topic that we can talk about. It seems like a really bad brand name. But this question about whether Whole Foods would be more expensive, it was a little bit, but not outrageous. Not enough to like picket line sure you know not enough to, to hold protest so that's what I study or one of the things that I study is uh, is what's called price image and this is different from actual prices this is the the reputation that a store or a brand has for pricing. So it's kind of the intersection of, of price and brand.
2: So this is a bit, So I would say, that people think Apple will be expensive
1: and Southwest would be cheap. Exactly.
2: I've just said that in two minutes. What have you spent your life doing then, if that's all
1: the research you've ever done? Uh, <laughs> so most of what I do is, is peer-reviewed, which means we submit it to anonymous scholars and they give us feedback. You sound a lot like Reviewer 2 on my <laughs> last paper um what have you been doing yeah (laughs) thank you colin um that question wasn't existentially threatening to me at all um i think we can move so the the questions that i answer are not does this thing exist which the short answer is yes refer to colin shaw he can explain to you what it is (laughs) (laughs) The questions I'm interested in is, how do people form these price impressions? When are they wrong? What makes them inaccurate? And then once you form these impressions, what do you do with it? Okay, good. Interesting. Before we move on, just to give you an idea of the scope of this problem, I study Whole Foods a lot when I run my experiments and then also just kind of tracking what they do because it's such an interesting case study. Whole Foods has high prices. I'm not going to argue that they don't. But people's price images for Whole Foods are just wildly out of alignment with what the prices actually are. I found this article just from a local newspaper when I was doing a Google search. It's from the Denver Post several years ago, and the, it was you know just kind of a neighborhood story. They were going to be opening a Trader Joe's in this neighborhood in Denver, and so they were just interviewing you know kind of man on the street. Are you excited about this new Trader Joe's that are coming? And they interviewed this woman, and she said, "Look, right now." I have to shop at Whole Foods because that's the only grocery store nearby. Trader Joe's, which has a low price image, I'll be able to start shopping there instead. And this was her quote. This will, quote, will lower my grocery bill by hundreds of dollars each month. (laughs) This, This appeared in the newspaper. Now, Trader Joe's does have lower prices than Whole Foods. They do. But hundreds of dollars... Wells Fargo did a, a pricing study, and they compared. You want to guess, like in percentage terms, how much lower are the prices at Trader Joe's than Whole Foods? Ten percent. Ten percent. Fifteen percent. Yeah. Four percent. Wow. So this is what's interesting to me as a phenomenon. Like nobody would guess sure. that. It doesn't seem reasonable. How is that formed then? I mean, is that
2: is it a strategy? I mean i guess in some cases it must be is it a strategy by the retailer or by the consumer no no by the by the retailer does somebody go i mean clearly from a brand perspective they may go this is our customer group this is a you know the segment we want to be in therefore we have to project this image etc 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 i'm wondering do they do they go down into the price imaging
1: as well so some do there are firms that have Price image strategies where they want to to drive a low price image. There are also a lot of firms that kind of accidentally form a price image by virtue of the rest of their branding strategy. So Whole Foods is one where they do not want a high price image. In fact, there there are quotes from the CEO. But they got one. Oh, they've got one. Oh, they've got one. There are quotes from the CEO that go back at this point, like I don't know, fifteen years. They'll tell investors in these investor calls, "We're going to try to focus on lowering our price image. We're going to we're going to focus on that." There was a story in the New York Times where when they were in the middle of one of these pushes to lower the price image, they told about all the things that they did to try to lower their price image to the point where there were stores in New York City, this is true, where you could go in and an employee would give you like a low price tour of the store, like walk you through and say, this is a low price and see this can of tuna over here, that's a low price for that. None of it worked. Part of the reason is because of of all the things that I study, like how is it that people form these impressions how do they form the impressions i'm glad you asked colin it says here on my script ask ryan how it how these impressions are formed well i i gave you the script for a reason (laughs) colin i appreciate you sticking to it i got an agenda we got to cover stuff there's kind of two approaches we can take to studying price image formation one is around the prices themselves and i've done some research around this so the distribution of prices in the store or what's discounted when, things like should you be a high low retailer or an everyday low price retailer? So, how do you manage your prices? The other part, and I'm happy to talk about that since you decided to let me do a podcast on my own research. <laughs> okay. So I, I'm interested in those, those things. I think that they they tell us a lot about how people process prices, tell something about pressure formation. If I'm being honest, though, in terms of practical, practical usage. There's also research on the non-price influences of price image formation. And from kind of a consulting perspective, I would recommend that that firms start there. If you want to lower your price image, I think focusing on pricing will do something. And there's, there's evidence to suggest that it'll help. But I think overwhelmingly, people form price images based on lots and lots of non-price information. I mean, I could put you in a store before you see the first price tag, you will have formed a general price image of that store.
2: And I presume that's because of the what the store looks like, how plush it is. So if I think of a grocery store like Audi or whatever, in fact, R- R- Lorraine, my wife, hates going into those places because they've got cardboard boxes that have been just the tops have cut off and and understandably what they're trying to say is we're cheap. That's exactly it, right? And I think didn't the same apply with when they started with Home Depot and stuff like that? This
1: is told in the biography that was written about the founder of Home Depot. I think it was called Built to Last. But Home Depot is local to Atlanta, so I I'm over there not infrequently interacting with the the folks that work there, and this is kind of corporate mythology for them. They all know this story, that, but yeah, the story goes that the very first Home Depot, when it was opened, some enterprising young employee went and polished up all the the concrete floors before the grand opening, which you know seems like a really good idea, you know, nice nice thing to do, and the story went that the founder of this uh, store said, no, this sends exactly the wrong image. And he actually took forklifts and skid loaders and drove them around and kind of skidded them out on the floor to kind of mess up the floors and make them look more grungy for exactly this reason. So that the store gave off the vibe of being an affordable place to shop. Mm
0: why not let Colin and Ryan speak at your next conference? As you can hear, they're great communicators and can get over a message in a simple, inspiring, and humorous way. Contact Beyond Philosophy by going to beyondphilosophy.com slash contact. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash contact.
2: And people may have listened, if you haven't, go back and listen to podcast on choice architecture. So doing things to subtly pass over messages, and we we would call that a sort of a subconscious experience. So the the things that
1: tell you messages about your organization without actually being explicit. Yeah, and this is where my research interests tie into a lot of the stuff that we've been talking about, uh, in, as far as behavioral economics and non conscious influences. Think of it this way: like there there are good ways to form a price image, and that's by evaluating all of the, the available prices and comparing them to prices at other stores, that's also a lot of work. That's really effortful. So are there easier ways for you to form a price image? And yeah, there are. I mean, one of the ways is is just looking at all of the signals that you get when you walk into a store. You know, there's a reason that that Costco has unfinished concrete floors and everything is on warehouse shelving and, and kind of place looks like a warehouse and warehouse lighting. And all of these things send very subtle signals to you that this is a discount store. This is a place with, with low prices.
2: Those things, do you think that they are
1: by organizations actually planned or do, do those things just happen? I think that sometimes they are, right? Uh, we mentioned the, the floors at Home Depot. That was a very deliberate choice that they made. I think sometimes they are either a byproduct of some kind of efficiency move or or it was a joint decision, right? So all these shelves being organized by just ripping the tops off of boxes, you know, there is an efficiency move there. You don't need to send employees out to constantly reface all of the shelves. So it does save the company money. It also sends this very nice signal about low prices. I think that Costco and IKEA and a few, Sam's Club, some of these discount places have food available there so at costco you can get a a hot dog lunch for a dollar 50 so a hot dog and a drink for you know just a couple bucks Wow. at ikea you know you can get a dollar ice cream cone one of the things that that does i mean it encourages people to shop longer at the stores which serves multiple aims but it also sends a very very clear low price signal i may not know how much a 20 gallon jar of pickles should cost when i go to costco that's a difficult price to evaluate sure but being able to buy a lunch for under two dollars like a lot of places you can't even get the drink for that. So it gives me something very easy to evaluate. I, again, pizzas are also very cheap at Costco. You can get a, a you know reasonably qual- high quality, freshly baked pizza for, I, I can't remember what it is, $6, $8. Those prices are very easy to evaluate. And so they help influence our evaluation of the store as a whole. So we, we've been talking here about
2: uh, low prices, but I presume the same is true for higher prices. So, it, it, you know, if you go into a BMW dealer, the carpet and the what's on the walls and all those types of things make a difference and sort of start to, to say, this is the reason that these cars are higher priced because we are
1: more select. And, you know, you're joining effectively, you're joining our club, aren't you? So, for high price images, it's interesting because there are definitely brands and retailers. Who want a high price image, that this is part of the appeal, that you know, the exclusivity of it. There are also lots of brands that I think, you know, and I, th- I think Whole Foods is one, where all of their branding decisions are to create value for the customer, to promote the fact that it's high quality, but they don't necessarily want the high price image for the sake of having a high price image. It's just a byproduct of other decisions that they're making. So Whole Foods, you know, they can stamp up and down that their prices aren't high. But when you walk into a Whole Foods, everything about that place screams high prices. You know, you walk in and there are beautiful displays of fresh cut flowers in the the lobby. The produce section has these vegetables that were stacked up, it looks like, by architecture students. They're just all perfectly, these perfect pyramids. And, you know, you can get these great deli selections and it's just, everything is just great. And all of that is sending a high price signal to people so that even if the prices aren't that high, even if they're only 4% higher than Trader Joe's, it seems like it's going to be high priced. And so people act like it is.
2: Yeah, now there's the Whole uh, Whole Foods that's been opened up near uh, near our place uh, in Sarasota. And uh, I went in there for the first time the other week And you're totally right. It it smacked to me of being upmarket grocery store. I have an interesting question here. When I was wandering around, they now do a number of different offers for Prime members, Amazon Prime members, because obviously Amazon took it over. And I would put Amazon, you know, if I was to say, what's the image of Amazon? There's a number of facets to the image of Amazon, but one of which is low price, so have you seen any difference or what's your opinion of the difference now that Amazon's taken that over or do people in Whole Foods don't really, you know, do customers not really pay attention to the fact that it's actually owned by Amazon
1: now? Yeah, it's a really interesting question. I know I, I don't have data to back this up yet. If, uh, if anybody's studied this, I haven't seen it yet. The things that Whole Foods was doing to try to lower their price image before, you know, i mentioned there was a new york times article where they just they gave us a list of all the stuff they were trying to do none of it worked and it was because it was in the face of these really really strong signals of high price image i think that some of the stuff that amazon has started to do since they took them over might actually move the needle all right so you know special deals for for prime memberships just associating the whole foods brand with the amazon brand as you said should lower the price image now the big trade-off for Whole Foods is will that damage these other branding elements that do create a lot of value for their target customer? So and I can give you an example. So for instance, Walmart famously has kind of a reputation for, for generally cluttered stores and, and not always kind of the the cleanest or the most pristine. I don't know that they, they've earned that reputation everywhere, but that's kind of their general reputation. Their stores can also be cluttered because they drop big pallets of food items and other things just in the middle of aisles where people are walking. And, you know, these are, they, I think they even have a written name for it. It's like discount alley or something. Customers were complaining, like, it's hard to get your carts around that. It becomes very crowded and cluttered. And so Walmart listened to their customers and they started removing these, these things. And they, they made a push to make the stores cleaner and less cluttered. Customers started complaining about the high prices. Walmart hadn't changed their prices at all, but, by making the store nicer, they accidentally sent a signal that their their prices had gone up. So I think that these price and other brand elements are very, very hard to disentangle in the minds of consumers. And so you as a manager need to make a choice. Is it more important to lower our price image or is it more important to maintain our quality brand image? Because you just may not be able to separate those. But I have to say my gut reaction, and again, I've got nothing to, to base this on
2: other than... 30 years of experience, not many people would actually think through that in detail. Organizations, and this for me is where there's a big opportunity and, and I hope that the listeners you know, are, are not those people and therefore it provides them competitive advantage, but just changing something as basic as that, whether somebody actually sat down and went, hey, if we start doing this then that's going to change our price perception, et cetera, et cetera. That sort of indicates that there's a level under, of understanding and a level of debate in the organization where there could be somebody that says something like that, but whether they're in in high enough of authority for anyone to take any notice of them is a different kettle of fish.
1: And and maybe I'm being unkind to Walmart, I don't know. No, 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 no. the version of the story I heard, this was a surprise result for them. And so they went back to their their previous strategy of putting these big pallets of food in the middle of of the aisles.
2: I think what it just shows to me is that this subconscious signal and the signals that you are giving out, choice architecture, all those types of things, is absolutely vital And most organizations just ignore it, basically, and only think about it, you know, even to a certain extent where you go, do you know why you're successful? And not just big picture successful, but in the detail, what is it? And there's a lot of people that obviously, particularly founders that would do this stuff naturally, that would, you know, like the home base example. That would just go. Hey, we need, you know, we need to think about this, this etc. But, but that I think gets lost by with organizations, and it just is an indicator to me. You've really got to go down into this detail in in much more
1: depth. Yeah, no, I agree, and and I also think that it points to the give and take of the actions that that we take. The fact that there are side effects and and blowback confident uh consequences so you know they were just trying to make the store look nicer and they were responding to customer feedback and from those perspectives they did the right thing there was this unforeseen consequence of it affecting their price image and they decided that that was the more important goal and so they they switched back to the way that they had been but you know economists like to talk about the fact that there's no free lunch like there's no there's no opportunities out there that aren't gonna come with some kind of cost. And I think that's true of of customer experience actions and of marketing actions too. There's no free lunch out there where you can just improve your quality image without necessarily affecting your price image or vice versa. And there are lots of these trade-offs you need to make. Are you making them deliberately? Are you thinking about what are even the non-conscious backfire effects that might happen? And are those costs you're willing to pay?
2: Yes, no, I, I, I agree. Let's try and wrap this up. Let's try and get practical and ask the so what question.
1: So what does this mean that people should do? What's the practical advice? So the practical advice is mostly to stay tuned because Colin and I have started a new chapter in this podcast where we're going to be talking about my research a lot more. I'm (laughs) very excited. I think my mom is excited too. She wants to hear more about my research. (laughs) And your mom will be the only person that's listening to it. Um, In terms (laughs) of practical implications, so we can start narrow, right? So if your job or if part of your job involves managing prices, realize that this is part of a bigger idea, that managing prices by themselves is probably not gonna be your end goal. You need to, to also think about this in terms of the branding implications. So what does this do to your, your larger price image? And then, you know, do you know what your price image is? Do you have a strategy for managing that? Sometimes there are non-intuitive ways of going about that. So do you have a price image strategy? Know that there's, there's research on this, there's data that you can use to define your strategy. Stepping back from price image, we can think larger about this in terms of overall imaging and, and branding. Part of what makes price image so interesting to me as a decision scientist, is that there is a right answer, right? So we can look to the prices and see, like, are people's images actually accurate or not? In fact, one of the very first academic papers on this was published in 1969. The title was Price Image Versus Price Reality. Dating way back to then, they were able to say, like, no, no, here's the price reality. Here's how these stores actually stack up in terms of prices. And here's people's price images. And they found that they were wildly inaccurate. But that's true of, you know, your, your brand image, your quality image, your your customer experience image. You might have a reputation that is good or bad, really out of line with what you're actually delivering, right? And if you're kind of have a, too positive of an image, that's great for you. Realize that that may or may not be sustainable in the long run, unless you clean up your act and actually perform well. It's also frustrating that you may have a, a great customer experience objectively, but customers are not evaluating it in that way. We'll try to figure out why. Usually, it comes down to this heuristics idea, where people are using an easier way of evaluating than the appropriate, proper way that they should be using. They're using these shortcuts, these these signals the, that they're getting. Well, figure that out and, and compete on those two. Sure. And I think for me, there's a practical piece of advice is
2: never let a fact get in the way of a good story. Words to live by. (laughs) And what I mean by that is it just goes to show again that people's perceptions and what happens in reality can be very different. Whole Foods only being 4% higher and the Jamaica plane, and, you know, the only being a dollar for a shopping basket. People get these perceptions built up in their minds and those are built up through these subconscious signals, clues that will you give them. And you're either giving them on purpose or you're not. And we would advocate that you need to think about it and you need to think about, how you're going to give those signals to customers and what you're going to give them. And even things like not dumping things in an aisle has an effect. The other part I think for me is that that shows that part of the challenge is you've actually got to educate people in the organization about this stuff. and Maybe that's a, a nice link on to, say, and hopefully through these podcasts you can help people do that so maybe there's someone that you think should learn from these things and would learn from this podcast maybe there's somebody in the marketing team that you'd think that's in charge of pricing that needs to understand this stuff to move your organization so just drop them a line and tell them to sign into the intuitive customer podcast i hope they'll they'll gain from that so thanks very much, everybody, and we look forward to talking to you next week. And don't be a stranger. Right? Cheers.
0: This has been the Intuitive Customer with Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton. But it doesn't end here. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com/podcast find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com podcast. And we'll talk with you next time on The Intuitive Customer.